Welcome to San Diego Sessions. We're here today with composer and multi-instrumentalist, Alan Weller. Listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast, featuring local artists, new releases, and more. Here are your hosts, Ian Tordella and Ed Kornhauser. Good morning, good afternoon, welcome to San Diego Sessions. I'm your host, saxophonist Ian Tordella. And I'm your other host, pianist Ed Kornhauser. And we're here this morning with a very special guest, composer, conductor, and multi-instrumentalist, Ellen Weller. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks How's for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming down and braving the uh, rough traffic on the 15. Horrible. You, you moved, uh, I guess it's been a few years now, but to my hometown of Escondido, and so I'm very familiar with that drive. <laughs> All right, before we get into some music and other traffic-related incidents, we have our usual <laughs> top-of-the-show segment. This is a game called This Versus That. These are two musicians or public figures of note, and Ed Kornhauser is going to have to pick one and only one. Okay, okay uh, hit me. This is the Gary edition today. So we're going to start with uh, noted vibraphonist and uh, one-time collaborator with Chick Corea, Mr. Gary Burton. Or I guess he's been a several-time collaborator with Chick Corea. Versus the uh, bassist in the Standards Trio, led by Keith Jarrett, Gary, Gary Peacock. Peacock. Oh, that's tough. Um, wow. That's really hard. I, 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 I've listened to so much of both. I've listened to so much of Gary, Gary, Gary Burton with, uh, with Keith Jarrett. Gary uh, Peacock. No, Gary Burton with Keith Jarrett. Oh, Gary Burton with Keith Jarrett. Yeah, like the old, the old records like uh, where Keith is also playing saxophone and stuff. Uh, and I guess, yeah, Gary Burton, uh, they both played with him. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Gary Burton. But All that's right. tough because I love that the Standards Trio Early on was one a huge influence and still is. It's an amazing ensemble, but I think I, I'm going to go with Gary Gary Burton. I got to see him a couple of years ago with Peter Erskine and oh maybe Scott Colley on bass and that young guitar player Julian Lodge, and that was uh, at the Athenaeum here. That was terrific. Uh, through a weird uh, case of mistaken identity, I was hooked up with seats front row, six seven feet from the vibes. And I got to watch Gary, like, because the guy, the the guy at the door thought that I was somebody who had lectured there, <laughs> and I sort of accidentally didn't correct him, and wound up getting hooked up. <laughs> was your name on the the don't mega donor level in the I back was, of the program? The thing was that he it was the cleared off section for the donors, and the guy who took us down moved people aside, oh moved the rich people who had donated, <laughs> and then he said, "Well." And I said, "Thank you," and he goes, "Oh, well, we were so happy. We're happy when you came here and lectured." and 
I'm not cool. And I just looked right back at him and said, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, is it your name, Ryan something? And I'm like, um, no. Yes. He, the guy, I'll never forget this. He just looked at me and goes, oh, well, you got hooked up anyway. And he just walked away. He, he ate his mistake and honored it. It was really cool of him. All right. Next up in our saga of Gary-ness, uh, <laughs> a drummer who's played with a, a lot of people. I, I've seen him with Kurt Rosenwinkel and heard him on record with Bob Berg, Mr. Gary Novak versus iconic alto saxophonist Gary Bartz. Oh, wow. <sighs> I thought you were going to go with Gary Smulligan. Is that for later? Smulligan. <laughs> Small, I don't know. I'm, I'm completely confused about how to say that man's last name. <laughs> we'll get to that soon. Um, I think I think I'm going to go without with a uh, iconic alto saxophonist Gary Bartz. All right. Okay. And last up, we're get, getting into more saxophones. Los Angeles resident and former member of Super Sax Gary Foster. Oh wow. Versus baritone saxophonist of note and member of the village vanguard with, band with a weird name gary smullion Sm- Sm- it's smullion smullion yeah I've, i'm scared Sm- when i look at that name yeah I, I look at it and go i don't know how to say this <laughs> uh i'm gonna go with uh, wait say it one more time gary foster versus gary smullion smullion i feel bad i'm picking him but i don't know how to say his name correctly but i'm gonna go with gary smullion i swear there was a g in there but i guess i've been saying it wrong all these years uh, yeah, I saw him years ago with uh, with the um, um, Joe Lovano Nonette when they came to San Diego. I think I was in high school, and he was the the biggest takeaway I had from that show. I really was captivated by his playing. They gave him a lot of solos, and he was remarkable. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, he has a great sound. All right, well, that's today's edition of This Versus That featuring Ed Kornhauser. Well, once again, we're joined by our guest, Ellen Weller. Hi. Hi. And uh, we're going to hear a track, and I believe this is off your first record as a leader. Yes, that's correct. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Spirits, Little Dreams, and Improvisations, which is the English title. Uh, in Yiddish, that would be Dremels, uh, let's see, Spirits, so uh, Dybbuk's Dremels and Doinas, which is uh, the same kind of thing. And it, uh, the whole album was a concept album that told a story, but this little track is a duo with... Um, wonderful trombonist and inspiration uh, here in San Diego when he was here, George Lewis on trombone and uh, this dialogic number two. Ha <laughs> 
back on San Diego Sessions with Ellen Weller. That was Dialogic Number 2, which was on uh, album Spirits, Little Dreams, and Improvisations on Circumvention Records. And that featured, of course, as you mentioned, George Lewis on trombone. Uh, yeah, I was thrilled to have him in. The, I was able to get a number of really fabulous musicians on that album. Lyle Ellis, uh, Scott Walton, Vinnie Golia, um, Bob Weller, an early cut with Charles Weller, uh, <laughs> I think age 15 or, or somewhere around there. Um, uh, Bert Turetsky on bass also, and uh, Nathan Hubbard, Marcos Fernandez. Uh, I'm trying to, I hope I didn't leave anybody important out. Uh, it, and Bob Weller, somebody a little bit important. Right. <laughs> Former podcast guest. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes, there's a bit of a there's a bit of the family funk amongst this uh, on this recording. A little bit, yes. Yeah. Um, so you were we were talking a little bit about the break about the concept of this record uh, mm-hmm. about uh, spirits and and you said the Yiddish word was dibik, which is a spirit that, as you were explaining, because I I sort of heard the word but didn't quite know what it meant, um, that sort of takes possession of somebody because they haven't achieved what they wanted to achieve during their lifetime. Right, and they use this person, and sometimes what they want to achieve is wonderful, and sometimes it's evil. And the conception here was about improvisation, how it sometimes feels, and I don't know if you two have ever had this experience, where you're improvising, and you have kind of an out-of-body experience, or you feel like something is flowing through you, and you do not, some of the best improvisation comes when you do not direct that energy and it just happens. And there, you can kind of sit outside and watch that. And if you haven't had that experience, then, you know, we're definitely not uh, chewing the same <laughs> tobacco. Huh. But um, the, that, that feeling, the word inspiration means really literally taking in of the spirit. Hmm. So uh, that also coincides with being a flute player. And respiration, which also has to do with spirit, in, inhalation, uh, respiration, all of these things have at their heart spirit. So that's why I had that as a title here and the idea of inspiration uh, and our role as musicians and improvisers is in some ways to get out of the way of that greater spiritual energy, whatever that is, whatever that means to you. And with this particular on group of people, it was uh, in just so inspiring, literally inspiring to be in the room with all of those people and the energy that happened between us, even as we're in our own little booths in the recording studio, just listening and just uh, sensing what was happening was absolutely magical. Mm-hmm. And in uh, the Jewish tradition, there the improvisation is the shepherd's flute, which is the doina, and that is pretty, oh, which reminds me, another wonderful player on that album is Robert Zellickman, who's a klezmer clarinetist. Oh, wow. So uh, that's that was that concept album. And uh, yeah, that was a, a lot of fun putting that together. Oh. 
what I noticed on this track is, yeah, speaking of the energy, is just George has such cool art, driving articulation, and it's sort of a, a little back and forth between you guys. Um, but just the way he can pop stuff out in all different registers of the trombone, yeah, crazy, instantly. crazy, yeah, yeah. His his vocabulary is astonishing and inspiring. You know, it's really. Really, you step up your game when you're playing with him. <laughs> Any of those people, it's just fantastic. Yeah, I only got to see George, I think, one time play a concert at, at UCSD, but he just he did a solo thing, and it it was yeah pretty amazing. And also just the variety, like you said, the the expansiveness of his vocabulary was mind boggling. So he was a very important influence on many of us who went to UCSD in the late 90s. Uh, for a small amount of time, there was a program there called Critical Studies and Experimental Practices. Uh, and it really was about people who were exploring concepts of creativity, alternative modes of expression, and actually more synthesized experiences as opposed to being in one genre, you know, jazz studies or classical. It was for uh, people who really were trying to push some boundaries or in my case, didn't know what they wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. But it was very inspiring. We did a lot of reading. We looked at a lot of performance art. Um, we talked about improvisation occasionally and he put together very improbable duos as part of his process. And we were forced to deal with each other and listen and let our baggage, you know, put down, put down whatever you brought into the room and just be there and be present. And so for me, that experience has informed almost everything else I do as a composer, as a conductor, as a teacher even. So after this record, you followed this up a few years later, I believe, because uh, Spirit's Little Dreams and Improvisations was 2000. Eight? 2004. Four, sorry. 2004. And that was in kind of at the height of my involvement with the Tremor Flora Collective. Right. Which um, is a, a local ensemble here in town. It, it, I wouldn't say that we were necessarily an ensemble until we played together in this huge group called Borborygmus. And you can look that up. That's it's a, a lovely if I, board. If you can spell it, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you uh, research that one. Wow. But really what huh. it was, it was a collective of people supporting each other's projects mm. using uh, pushing boundaries in terms of uh, sound exploration, um, what was music, where we played, uh, we did a festival at the Wonder Bread Factory. Uh, factory at one point which is now bread and salt of course yes. and uh yeah so that um people still talk about that the uh, tremor floor collective was for those people who were involved the nine of us everybody has kind of gone out into the world and done their own thing but there was a time where that was a really cutting edge program we had every year a festival spring reverb right. uh where we had international artists come in uh, yeah, so that uh, we wrote a lot of original music for that and, and frameworks for improvisation. So as opposed to a straight through composed piece of music. So we were working with a lot of uh, those kinds of ideas. And it was a very fertile, creative period for many people who were involved in that. I wanted to ask you, how, how do you personally approach uh, free improvisation. Do you like to set out some set of initial parameters of any kind, or do you prefer to more interact and interpret as you go? Or 
like setting these sort of preset parameters, either harmonic, melodic, rhythmic, motivic, or anything really, some sort of framework you mentioned. In some sense, it doesn't matter because if you set up a, the most carefully constructed frames, often get tossed aside in the heat of the moment. Uh, because you have to follow the path and the logic of whatever it is you're playing. As soon as you make a musical sound, it's out there and you have to deal with it yourself. The best laid plans of free jazzers. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And um, on the other hand, the idea, uh, a colleague of mine, um, Glenn Whitehead, who's at the University of Colorado, once said that when you're improvising, you're actually playing a piece. You have to, you have to listen to it. It just hasn't been realized yet. So it has the same kind of musical integrity as a pre-composed piece. You have to listen and know what the next thing is coming. So if you set up a construction that's, if you're intentionally, for instance, going to limit your material, that is, uh, that's wonderful too. And sometimes if you step out of bounds, nobody's going to call you out on that. But it's nice as a starting exercise if you don't know the people you're playing with. But most of the time when I'm improvising, we just start oh. and something happens. Mm -hmm. And whatever, and if nothing happens, that means you have to, you really have to listen and, <laughs> and hear the piece. Well, something that uh, saxophonist David Borgo was talking about when he was on, I, he's really into chaos theory, sure. I guess. And yeah. whenever you improvise, even in a, in a more quote unquote, like traditional jazz context there, there are so many outside parameters that once you start improvising anything that you may have laid out can quickly devolve into chaos and as all these ingredients start interacting Things and not just musical parameters but it could be anything in the environment right so, that could be the. and the, I, I thought that was really interesting the temperature in the room so you know somebody's talking something goes wrong with one of your the keys on your instrument you know any number of things could affect the performance. That's all, that's all in the nature of improvisation itself. And improvisers tend to deal with that stuff rather well and don't get all flustered when something weird happens. And in fact, generally... Well, some do. Ah, <laughs> I, can, I can think of a it few. Can break, it can break your concentration for sure. Yeah, which must, is genuinely frustrating. I don't mean to, to, to be picky. It's um and but you can either get back on or you know you can you can let that things fall apart too and that taking risk is really the uh, essential I think thrill of improvising um, you have to be comfortable putting your neck out there and not being afraid to make a mistake so um, that's why I think a lot of players I where I work. I run into a lot of young players who are fascinated and frightened by improvisation because that idea of being out there without a game plan is frightening. The idea of doing something wrong and being judged immediately is a big hang-up in our society. Right. I think with jazz education, they need to take that, that sort of sense that there's a right and a wrong way to do something and kind of pull that away. It's like, no, 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 you're, you're, you're doing something. Just keep working at it and, you know. It's not like performing a, a piece where you have to get all these notes right. You know, you just have to kind of just let the let what what's in your head kind of flow. In the early days of jazz, there was uh, less of a editorial content in terms of style. I think that's why many of us were attracted to jazz um, because it's open and jazz made it made a whirlwind tour, uh, especially during World War II. Around the world, jazz was open to other 
experiences and alternative worldviews and cultural background. So you have jazz everywhere, and it all has a local twist to it. And rock and roll did the same thing as well. And then rap also was very open and not a surprise that these are basically African-American started uh, originating kinds of ideas um, that people were able to take the basic idea and make it their own. Absolutely. I, I've, uh, I've always, this is, this is the, I think I've even said this analogy on the podcast and I still can't remember. Uh, but I've always thought that jazz is, I think it's, is it O, is it O positive? That's a universal blood type or is it O negative? <laughs> but I can't, I, I see, I've been saying this analogy for years and never quite remembered the actual blood type, but I think the jazz is sort of that. Cause you could, you could give it to anybody or you could put it into any other kind of music and it'll work with it, and it'll jive with it, and you'll make something cool and new and different, some hybridization. And now that's sort of our greatest cultural export, I think. And yes. It went around the world and interacted with everybody and every kind of music, and people have been making really cool, unique hybridizations of jazz all over. And there's, uh, of course, once something goes out and gets out of control, there's also, and especially once it gets into the academy and is taught in college, now suddenly it's solidified. There's, there's a hardening of the arteries. There's a syllabus. There's a syllabus. Thank <laughs> you. And um, so it, the idea of jazz being a genre instead of um, a music-making approach I think, which are very different things. The idea of it being a genre, that's one of the reasons I moved towards free improvisation. Um, there were other reasons um, early on when I was, uh, early, early on when I would go, I would see, oh yeah, we were looking for a saxophone player and I'd go there and I'm like, oh man, no chicks in the band. They oh, cause problems. And so this is <laughs> in the 70s, you know, and y'all are laughing. You're the youngsters that you are, the, the idea that um, that these kinds of sexist things happened. But they did. And jazz was not the most welcome place. And even now, uh, very few women uh, are up there. There are a few. They're great. Yeah. Uh, but it has not been a welcome place as jazz has become more limited and thought of as a specific kind of genre. Um, and so the, the, the edges of that, uh, I live around, I dance around the edge. Um, I dip my toe into jazz. Uh, my whole family's deep into jazz and I pull them definitely toward the dark side of improvisation. Mm -hmm. I I have to say it's it's one I know I think I read online you did some touring in Japan mm -hmm. and I've been there a couple times too and one thing I've always that struck me about I'd always go to jam sessions so many women like the 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 ratios it seemed to me like it was fifty fifty uh, so many great and young too but also you know older and, and playing every instrument and singing and but you know everything yes and then you around I, it just seems like there's there's not as many here. Yes, that's correct. And some of it is the uh, uh, probably the Calvinistic culture of being careful and not taking risk uh, as a female in our society. Um, the kind of public shaming and uh, heightened body awareness that our society has culturally. Anyway, that's all uh, mm -hmm. all off to the side. But in a sense, it feeds what I do. I remember the first time I heard a Korean um, folk tradition called pansori, which is an operatic form. It's a storytelling form that happens with a the most swinging, 
drum, a chango, and it's this kind of 12-8 swinging feel. It's absolutely incredible, and the uh, Pansori singer has to take on all of the different aspects of the characters. And this little woman came on at UCSD and and she's using her voice in such a powerful way. I thought, can I do that on the flute? Am I, am I allowed to take that true power and force and physicality? Am I allowed to do that? And um, a lot of groundbreaking performance artists um, did that, you know, and, and use that kind of power. And it's not always welcome coming from a woman, honestly, um, but it's always been a part of what I have done. So it's uh, those kinds of influences. Jazz really first opens up your ears and uh, gives you permission to uh, experiment. So earlier when you were talking about George Lewis, you mentioned being put in in different duos. Mm -hmm. And the next track we have from Point of Contact is actually, it's a duo with your husband, Mr. Bob Weller, former guest on the podcast. Um, And then speaking of stuff more on the jazz side, after that we're going to hear Hole in Me Pocket which is uh, a more a funky jazz tune by your son, Dan- bassist Danny Weller, who I've also gotten to collaborate with on one of my records. Um, but let's start with, with uh, Aftermath, which was from 2008. Uh, this, uh, that, con- uh, that project, Point of Contact, uh, if you look at the, if you go to Circumvention, it's also on uh, that label, and look at the uh, art on that. Uh, I had an iguana, and I also oh, had a cat. And the, I remember the iguana. And yeah. the two of them, and the two of them were nose to nose. And I snapped a picture, and it occurred to me they're very different species. But that is a little bit of what happens that that moment where two completely separate entities touch. What happens? What is going on between a reptile and a cat? You know, a mammal. <laughs> and so the idea on this particular album, I did a series of drawings that I called Point of Contact. And they were uh, graphic pieces that Bob and I worked through. Um, but this particular piece was a straight improvisation. Bob uh, prepared the piano, so there are things in the piano making it sound like percussion. Huh. Uh, I and was saying Bob is also a, your husband Bob is also a piano tech. So yes. no, no one can make a piano sound weird better than someone who can make a piano sound great. <laughs> yes, and he could fix anything he did. Um, and this was one of the last things we recorded. We did this at the house. It's in 2008. Uh, some of the cuts also featured bassist Mark Dresser, but this one is the duo. And the layering of Bob's warlike, uh, very aggressive... Uh, texturized and very percussive. He's a drummer also. Uh, the the piano and and I'm basically playing kind of a lament over the top. You know, one of them's with a fife, and then I think I transitioned to soprano saxophone.
This is drummer Matthew Smith, and you're listening to San Diego Sessions. And now for something completely different. We're going to jump ahead in time about a year from this last recording and hear something from the Weller Family Band, which is, uh, as the name might imply, a band made up of of your husband, Bob, yes, on, on piano, although he plays many instruments, uh, your son, Danny, on upright bass, and your son, Charlie, on drums. Yes. You, this is li- this is the most family funk we've ever had. We've talked about <laughs> like local musical family dynasties. There are many here in San Diego. But sure. this is, I think, the first time we've featured one in its entirety musically. All right. So this is a tune by, I believe, your son, Danny. Yes. Who's uh, New York-based. Yep. Uh, and this is called Hole in Me Pocket. The technical term is, I've got a hole in me pocket. Oh, okay. That, uh, how unfortunate for him. And this is actually live at Dizzy's when Dizzy's was downtown at the end of Second Avenue. All right, here we go with There's a Hole in Me Pocket. I'm going to regret saying
You're listening to San Diego Sessions. Subscribe on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. Here's your jazz forecast for September 3rd through the 16th. As always, here are the regular happenings. On Monday, guitarist Louis Valenzuela hosts his regular jam session at Rosie O'Grady's in Normal Heights from 9 p.m. to midnight. No cover, and it's 21 and up. On Tuesdays, the Havana Jam is from 8 p.m. to midnight at Prohibition. On Wednesdays, Gilbert Castellanos hosts his long-standing Wednesday night jam session at Panama 66. Music from 8.30 to 11.30 p.m. Come down early to hear the Young Lions play from 6 to 8 p.m., featuring up-and-coming musicians from around San Diego. On Fridays, Flutus Holly Hoffman presents Jazz Happy Hour at the Handlery Hotel in Hotel Circle from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. No cover, and your parking is validated. On Friday, September 7th, catch L.A. pianist Yuko Mabuchi with bassist Dean Hewlett and drummer Tyler Crutell. The week after that, trombonist Matt Hall is joined by pianist Jason Chatiel and bassist Mackenzie Layton. Also on Fridays, trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos presents Jazz at the Westgate, an intimate series in the Plaza Bar of the Westgate Hotel. Music is from 8 to 11 p.m. Now here are some jazz highlights for the coming weeks. Thursday, September 6th. New Moods hosts a jam session downtown at the Courtyard from 6 to 9 p.m. Featuring vocalist Lexi Polito, vibraphonist Matt DiBiase, bassist Rob Thorson, guitarist Grant Fisher, and drummer Julian Cantelm. No cover and all ages welcome. Trio Gajo plays some gypsy jazz at Panama 66 from 6 to 8 p.m. Pianist Sam Hirsch and his group perform for the Sunset Poolside Jazz Series at the Westgate Hotel. Music from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. No cover, but there's a $25 food and drink minimum. On Friday the 7th, the Montalban Quintet plays a unique fusion of jazz, post-punk, and minimalism at Panama 66 from 6 to 8 p.m. Saturday, September 8th, Greek bassist Petros Klampanis brings his trio to Dizzy's for a show at 8 p.m. featuring bassist Julian Shore and drummer Afri Nahemya. Music kicks off at 8 p.m. Tickets are 15 in advance or 20 at the door. Sunday, September 9th, Singer Allison Adams Tucker presents the third annual Vocal Jazz Summit at Dizzy's, featuring vocalist Leonard Patton, Rebecca Jade, and Lisa Hightower, accompanied by pianist Melanie Grinnell, bassist Rob Thorson, and drummer Claudio Rochat Felix. Music starts at 7 p.m., cover is $20. It's Sassy Sunday with Lorraine Castellanos at the Turf Supper Club from 8 to 11 p.m. No cover, but you have to be 21 or over. Tuesday, September 11th, drummer Dave Tull performs at the Seville Theater on City College campus for KSDS's Jazz Live with saxophonist Doug Webb, pianist Randy Porter, and bassist Kevin Axt. Music begins at 8 p.m. Call 619-388-3301 for tickets. If you can't make it, you can listen from home on Jazz 88.3 FM. Thursday, September 13th. Saxophonist Rob Dove and his group perform for the Sunset Poolside Jazz Series on top of the Westgate. Music from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. No cover, but there is a $25 minimum. On Saturday, September 15th, hear trumpeter Derek Cannon and pianist Rika Parker present a tribute to the great Art Farmer at Dizzy's at 8 p.m. 
with Jeff Blanco on bass and Bob Daniels on drums. Cover is $15. Sunday, September 16th, saxophonist and composer Kim Richmond presents a tribute to Herbie Hancock and Joni Mitchell at Dizzy's. Music starts at 7 p.m. with a $20 cover. This is Bobby Cressy, and you're listening to San Diego Sessions, brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. And we're back here on San Diego Sessions, coming to you from Dirty Boulevard Recording Company in an undisclosed location right outside of downtown San Diego. Our guest today is Ellen Weller, and we just heard under the jazz calendar the second movement from her composition, Intervals of Peace. And before that, we heard one by bassist Danny Weller, featuring Ellen Weller on soprano saxophone that was called There's a Hole in Me Pocket. Mm -hmm. And for our listeners out there, as always, please follow us on Instagram. You can see some pictures and maybe some video extras from the show. We are at San Diego Sessions Podcast. And as always, uh, head on over to that iTunes uh, podcast library thing they got over there and uh maybe take a look at some episodes maybe subscribe hey and if you like us why don't you leave us a nice review maybe some stars but hey if you don't you know that's okay just stay away you know leave it be let bygones be bygones we cool we cool we cool (laughs) and of course you can find us on facebook and also if you'd like to reach us you can send us an email if you have any destructive criticism or would like to be a guest on the show SD Sessions Podcast at gmail.com. So, without any further ado, we're going to have our newest installment of the San Diego Seven with Ed Kornhauser. This is the San Diego Seven. These are seven questions we'd like you to answer from the top of your head and the bottom of your heart. Okay. All right. Number one, as you were stuck in traffic on the way down here, uh, what did you listen to on the drive down here? I was listening to your podcast, I think it was last year, with Nathan Hubbard. That's the most meta answer we've ever gotten. I'm sure. <laughs> I'll give you your 20 bucks later. Uh. For saying that. <laughs> yeah. uh, number two, what was the first album you purchased with your own money? Uh, that would probably be uh, John Clemmer. If oh, you wow. can pull that out, I don't from okay. the seventies. Okay, John so John Clemmer. Clemmer, uh, was that album called Touch? I I'm I'm trying to remember, but it was a very Ian cool Shrugging. album. This is in the early seventies, mid seventies, um, kind of at the beginning of the smooth jazz movement. So he did a bu- he was a tenor sax player, did a bunch of very modal stuff, and the best part about that, since he never stepped out of Dorian, I could practice improvising to that. Yeah, Clemmer was a sax player, and he he was sort of almost like new age, but he would do some stuff with a delay pedal, giving him slapback eighth notes, and improvise with that. So that that was pretty cool. Crazy, and then the yeah. and then but I have to follow that up with two more. the uh, The next one I bought was Maynard Ferguson live at Jimmy's. Ah. And Herbie Mann, The Evolution of Man. Herbie uh. Mann, wonderful flute player, and so those uh, that kind of fed my early teen angst. That's pretty good. I think the first cassette I bought was uh, Nightmare on My Street by LL Cool J or something (laughs) like that. (laughs) It was a different time. Yes. (laughs) Number three. What, if you have one, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Uh, What pops into my mind is... Oh, 
that's really tough. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. It's all right. On different days, I'd say like one in five or six. Yeah, and every time I see something new, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's the best movie. We just saw On the Waterfront, so right now that's uh, kind of coming up. On the Waterfront, um, you know, I could have been a contender yeah. for sure. And the exquisite score that you can't ignore by Leonard Bernstein. I feel dumb. Is Brando in that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but I know, I've heard of it. Charlie, you let me down. There's so many great lines from that. I'm, I'm going to say that to Charlie. I'm playing with him tonight. I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> you let me down, Charlie. I could have been a contender. There you go. That's uh, okay. your line tonight. Perfect. Uh, number four. And forgive me about this, but I realize I don't know. Um, hope this is all right. When and how did you and your husband Bob meet? When uh, was at, oh, I could tell you where, Cal State Northridge. Oh, okay. Uh, I was there during his senior year. Uh, he was just finishing up uh, in his percussion, bachelor of music and percussion. And I was uh, in my second year. And I used to walk down the rows of practice rooms and there would be this guy playing drum set. Just everybody was uh, told me about him and he's just shredding. When I was in high school, actually, I saw him play. We were doing a tour of um, doing a tour of colleges. You know how you do that in your last couple of years. And we were I was focusing on Northridge and uh, went up there and heard their top jazz ensemble. They had four at the time. I don't know how many they have now. Um, and I was like, wow, that drummer is just incredible. Um, little did I know that mm-hmm. was my fate. And uh, yeah, we met at a percussion party or something, and oh, it was very nice. What what was I doing there? I don't remember actually. <laughs> uh, well, music Forget- from the get go, yeah. And and on cue, we've got long guys. I don't know if you, how well you can hear them. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I podcast just- accompanied by Weed Whacker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number five. This is one of those would you rather type questions. Would you rather have a ten second rewind button on your life? Or a 10-second pause button. Oh, the pause for sure. Hmm. The pause for sure. Uh, and I think I do that, actually. There, there are some moments that are so perfect, you just stop and say, take a picture. Everything is p- incredibly right. Yeah. Definitely would pause that. I would, you know, your journey is your journey. Uh, it's part of who you are, and it's part of what we're supposed to be doing. So I wouldn't change anything. I've been very lucky. Maybe some other people would like to change some things, but I've been super fortunate. But there have been some moments that are really exquisite that I would like to save. Right on. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. Uh, number six. This is a bit, uh, well, it's not really far-reaching. It's rather silly. Number six. This versus that, kind of like the beginning. Peter Weller versus Paul Weller. Wow. Well, Peter Weller. I mean, you asked about the favorite movie, right? Mm. RoboCop. Uh, yeah. uh, no. Uh, I prefer Buckaroo Banzai myself. Buckaroo. <laughs> He's hilarious. Everybody's in that movie. I would have to say Peter Weller because yeah. I'm, I'm not all that familiar with the work of Paul Weller. Yeah, yeah that band. Uh, what was it? The Jam? I see them on YouTube occasionally, yeah. accidentally, <laughs> when I'm self-surfing. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, that doesn't happen with Ed Kornhauser. I tell Not you, yet. Nobody Not yet. Up. There's no other Kornhausers. Not yet. Well, there are. Sorry, there's no other Ed Kornhausers. There we really. go. Um, number seven, and this is sort of just a name. Take it as you will. John Zorn. Oh, how do you not love John Zorn? Just opened everything up as a multi-instrumentalist, but um, 
everything is permissible, everything is possible. He's so spontaneous and energized and uh, worked with so many different ensembles. Uh, and the odd thing was, is that at the time I was living in New York uh, in the 80s, I had no idea who he was and didn't discover him until after I moved away from New York City, which is just tragedy. Um, but he has been influential in my composition as well. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Zorn, monstrous genius, can hear stuff nobody else can hear. All right. And that was the San Diego 7 with Ellen Weller and our host, Edward Theodore Kornhauser. So uh, before we take it out here, what, what are some of the future plans you have uh, slated? Well, I'm uh, at Palomar College. I have the wonderful gift of going on sabbatical for the spring of 2019. I'll be doing some touring. Uh, we're going to bring the Weller family band to England. So Brits, get ready. Wow. Here we come. Um, and the other project is going to be the composition of a large piece for orchestra, choir, tenor, solo tenor as in singer. Um, (laughs) That's uh, that's a big project kind of following on the intervals of peace, uh, which we uh, referenced earlier. I've been doing more more composition and the improvisation and jazz definitely has influenced my compositional process, even my conducting process, I would say. Um, Having people improvise and take risk within the traditional orchestra, the symphony orchestra, is very exciting to young players these days. And I think audiences like that element of risk also. They don't know what to expect. And they see people doing unusual things. I mean, it's not that unusual to uh, run your fingers, strum your fingers on the violin as if it were a percussion instrument. But when you have 40 people doing that, it's a wonderful sound. So I'm going to be exploring some uh, extended techniques for choir and orchestra and ways of integrating that. And I'll probably have to have some kind of screaming electric metallic guitar solo in there somewhere, but uh, awesome. that's all part of it. Oh, that sounds <laughs> great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all for electric guitar and everything. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Makes yeah. everything better. Well, that's all coming up in the spring of 2019. And Ellen, thanks again so much for coming in and sharing your music yes. and your art with us. It's been a blast. It has been a blast. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk about music and philosophy and life and we're gonna have a special ending we're gonna have you take it out live for us on the flute this this one's for you guys
listening to the San Diego Sessions podcast brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Please subscribe now on iTunes or listen online at dirtyboulevardrecording.com. Theme music composed by Ed Kornhauser, performed by Ed with Grant Fisher guitar, Harley Magzino bass, Ian Tordella saxophone, and Charles Weller on drums. If you'd like to be a guest on San Diego Sessions, please contact us. All musical selections are used by permission of the artist. San Diego Sessions is engineered and produced by Ian Tordella at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company.